Real quick before we dive into this episode of the podcast, be sure to grab your free PDF copies of my latest books at frugal.show forward slash free. Now on to the show. If you haven't already, be sure to grab your free copy of my first two books, Frugalpreneur and Authorpreneur, by going to thesarahstjohn.com forward slash free. That's T-H-E-S-A-R-A-H-S-T-J-O-H-N dot com forward slash free. Now on to the show. Welcome to the Frugalpreneur Podcast. I am your host, Sarah St. John, and my guest today is a keynote speaker, productivity coach, and the author of The 5am Miracle and The Free Time Formula. In addition, he hosts The 5am Miracle Podcast, which is ranked number one in Apple Podcasts in the self-improvement and business categories. He's been nominated for six podcast awards and exceeded 9 million downloads. Welcome, Jeff Sanders. Well, thank you. It's good to be here today. Yeah, I'm excited. Before we get started, I wanted to ask you something. I saw on your website that you have a pug, or I read that you have a pug. Uh, I do. I was kind of hoping there'd be a picture there of him, but... (laughs) I should add one in. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah, I'll do that. (laughs) The only dogs I've ever had are pugs, so I'm a huge... Oh, great. I'm a huge pug lover, and I collect knickknacks and stuff that have pugs on them, so I'm like a... I'm a obsessed wait his name is benny benny yeah we had a friend with a pug named ben and we were so obsessed with him we got a pug ourselves and the only name we could think to call him was benny because it was just so closely associated with the only pug we knew at the time and so i mean since then we've met lots of pugs but benny just stuck so that's that's who he is oh that's so cute how old is he he just turned 10 so he's kind of getting you know, ancient pug years now. He's, yeah. he's an older pug, but uh, he's still great. Yeah, I have a pug named Otis. He's a couple of years old. And then before him, I had a pug named Pugsley and she lived to be 13. But yeah, she had some kind of degenerative disease. That's like not fun. Yeah, like the dog version of ALS. But anyway, so I just I love pugs. They're the cutest things. <laughs> they are. Well, we're not here to talk about pugs. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and how you got started in podcasting and writing these books and just the whole 5 a.m. miracle topic? Sure. I I mean, I'd never intended on becoming an entrepreneur. That was not my goal. And what happened for me was that I went to college with no real plan, but I had done a lot of high school theater. So I majored in theater in college without any plans of becoming an actor. So then I graduated and was like, well, now what? And so the first thing I thought to do was just start blogging just to like talk about my experience. And I ended up writing a book called Graduated and Clueless. No one ever saw it and publish it. It was just a book that I wrote to kind of cathartically move myself through this process of being an early 20 something that was trying to figure out what to do with my life. And it was in that process that I discovered personal growth. I had a boss at the time who was obsessed with John Maxwell, who's written 50 books in personal development. And I read one of those books and realized, wait a minute, that's what I want to do. I want to be a speaker, an author. I want to create content for a living. That's when I got the spark to think, okay, that's the path that I'm going to head down. It's just a question of how do you do that? So I worked a variety of odd jobs for about five to seven years, somewhere in there, while on the side, blogging, launching a podcast coaching, eventually speaking, and then writing books. And then all those things just kind of added together. And then I got laid off from my full-time job about five years ago. And it was at that time I realized, well, this is the best chance to go full-time as an entrepreneur 
now that I don't have a job anymore, let's just take this thing I've been building and make it what I do. So that's when I made the leap. And, you know, five years now, it's been working full time as an entrepreneur, figuring out how to navigate that landscape of creating content and trying to make it all work. It's a lot of fun. It's nonstop challenges, but it's a path that really makes sense for leveraging what I enjoy doing with opportunities that are out there. So I think it's, it's worked out well. So you started with a podcast and then it evolved from there, basically? I think that the business that I am running now, the core of it is based on my podcast. That was what really kicked things off for me. I had a blog that I was working on. I had maybe 100 readers on the blog. So it wasn't a big audience, just some people that were following me. But I knew that there was an opportunity for me to become a podcaster because I wanted to do something in performance. You know, having a background in theater, I was like, I'm not going to be an actor, but maybe I could do radio. Maybe I could do film. And then I discovered podcasting. It was just, oh, this is it. This is my thing. And so then I brought a podcast into the mix and almost immediately found a lot more listeners and a lot more of an audience. And so that's what I leveraged into books and then speaking and coaching. So for me, the podcast was the catalyst for basically everything that I do. Yeah, because you have a book also titled 5am Miracle. Yes. So the book is based off of the content from the show, which I I kind of randomly got a book deal because a publisher found me. They're looking for someone to discuss productivity. And so they asked me like, well, what topic do you want to discuss? And I was like, well, let's just use the podcast. I'll just figure out At, at the time. I didn't really know what the show was about. I knew it was about early mornings. I knew it was about productivity, but there was no real central through line or like, here's what the message really is. So the book was my chance to really hone that in and really define this is what it is. This is what it means. Here's the structure. So it helped me more than anyone else to figure out, like, what am I doing here? And I was able to clarify that in the book. And then that became the basis for basically everything else that I produce. And nine million downloads. I mean, that's really impressive. It's probably more than that now, I'm sure, since... We just hit 9 million last month. So actually oh, we're, yeah, okay, so it's it's a, that's a recent number. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have any tips on how to get that many downloads? How are you getting the word out there and getting new listeners? Funny question, because I don't know the direct answer to the question. <laughs> I mean, to that degree, like I'm not doing any real intentional marketing today. I was doing some things when the show first launched. So in the first probably, let's say two or three years, the show was going on. I was doing my best to become a guest in other podcasts like I'm doing right now. Mm -hmm. My goal was to figure out how do I get myself exposed to more listeners so they can discover me and my show. And so that was the only real strategy I had early on. And then in that process, a few websites that had a lot of, of readers mentioned my podcast and some articles they wrote. So I got some more attention through those means. But really, I think that I may have kind of gotten lucky in the timing because podcasting is has exploded in the last couple mm-hmm. of years. So I hit the wave before it got too popular. So it's possible that I just got lucky at timing. I'm not really sure. But what I do know is that what has helped the most over the years is doing my best to be exposed to more of an audience that would relate to my content. So if I can find people who listen to other shows that are similar to mine or they read books that are similar to mine and I can get myself in front of those people, well, those are also my people. They just don't know me yet. And so if I can figure out how to get myself in front of them, then some of them will come and listen to me as well. And so that's basically been the path. And I think that for the most part, that's worked out pretty well. Yeah, I've heard a lot about that. Even if you have a podcast, you need to make a point to be a guest on other podcasts. And I'm just now starting 
that process. Oh, I think I've done maybe 10 or so, so far, but I'm yeah, working on that. Great. So can you tell us a little bit more about the 5am miracle? Like just what that means exactly? Sure. So when I was, this was back in 2012, so about eight years ago, I was working that full-time job that I was laid off from. I had that going plus the side business. And I was training for one of my very first marathons. So I was swamped with just a busy life. Like all day, every day was just running, working, working more, trying to figure out how to fit all that together. And I realized at some point along the lines, the only way to really have time for all this stuff is if I wake up earlier to run before I go to work. So that became the initial catalyst was get out of bed. At the time, I chose 5 a.m. arbitrarily because I had to be at work at nine. So well, out of bed at five, I'll have time to run and shower and then commute and make that happen. And the very first day that I got out at 5 a.m., I was in love with it because I had such this amazing experience where I realized there's no one awake right now besides me. It's just me. I can do whatever I want. There's no distractions. I can just zone in on something and make a lot of progress on whatever it is I chose to do. So initially, that was running and training for a marathon. And then later on, that became business projects, personal projects, whatever goals I had set for myself. I knew that at 5 a.m., it's just me in the world. I can get that work done and make a lot of progress. And so the tagline for my show became to dominate your day before breakfast, because that's how I viewed what I was doing was getting up, doing something significant, and then the day would officially start later on. So it gave me this really big boost. And that's what the whole show is based on, is that simple concept of just start the day with something really strong and powerful, and the rest of your day can be that much more productive because of what you did first thing. And that's a big shift compared to my previous lifestyle, which was getting out of bed at the very last minute, feeling stressed out and late, and then I'd get to work and just be like, what happened today? I, I already feel frazzled and behind. And I got really sick of that feeling and then realized, well, I can just shift my times a little bit and feel so much more intentional and then actually have what I need prepared for my day. And that simple intentionality there really changed a lot on how I viewed my time, which then later on led to a lot of other work getting done because I had my time structured in a better way for myself. I know a lot of people, myself included, struggle to get out of bed. I mean, get out of bed any earlier than you have to. I guess I should say, I don't struggle to get out of bed, period. That would be a bad sign. But to get out before, like the last minute, you know, keep hitting snooze and all that. So how does someone who struggles like that, how do they get motivated to wake up one or two hours earlier? It's a great question. And the best two strategies that I've used, the first one is you have to go to bed earlier. And that for most people is the hardest thing to do because you want to stay up and watch Netflix or, you know, whatever it is you're doing later at night. Most people are not being productive in those hours, myself included. Like if I'm up past 10 p.m., nothing's getting done. I'm just awake and I'm just I'm killing time. So if you can figure out how to get yourself to go to sleep early, then waking up at 5 a.m. is not nearly as difficult because you're actually well rested. So that's the first kind of big hurdle. The second thing is you want to wake up and actually do something that you care about. So it can't just be wake up early because some guy in a podcast said so. It's like you wake up early because there's something you want to do at that time that's meaningful to you. Right. Some people might get up and read in the morning. You might meditate or do yoga or work on a personal project. Or if you're behind on something, get caught up. Or if there's something you've never made time for, that could be your time to do it. Like I find that that the hour of the day, that early morning hour is the best chance to work on things that really motivate you and get you out of bed and really cause you to say, like, I want to get up because I, I get to do this thing right now. 
as opposed to just feeling like, well, I have to do this and then I have to go to work and then I have to do blah, blah, blah. I just, I don't want to live like that where I feel like everything is this have to. I really want to get to do things that I love. And then all of a sudden you've just flipped your mentality and your enthusiasm about it. And then 5 a.m. is not painful or, you know, a difficult time. It's a really positive aspect of your life, which is a big mental shift for most people who view 5 a.m. as either either they're still awake from last night. And so they had a great last night or it's this evil part of the early mornings where the alarm is about to go off. And so you don't want that to be the case either. It's really just figuring out what does an ideal day look like for you? What is an ideal wake up time? And then when you get up, what are you doing with those first few hours? So what time would you recommend someone going to bed then if they're getting up at five? If 5 a.m. is your wake up call, then 9 p.m. approximately or 930 maybe would be the bedtime, uh, which for a lot of people, 9 p.m. sounds early. I get that. It sounds early to me, too, uh, still, because I'm not I'm not a born you know early riser. I had to train myself to do this. And I still have to remind myself to get back to it if I get off my schedule. And so it's that same idea of saying, well, if 9 p.m. is the time to go to bed, that I have to end my workday and end my activities prior to that so I can calm down, relax, and actually fall asleep on time, which is also a challenge too, is to be intentional about how the day comes to a close so that at 9 p.m. you're not still up and doing things. It's really about that saying like, I prioritize 5 a.m. So because of that, I have to also prioritize 9 p.m. Yeah, so then I guess that would be the full eight hours. So how did you pick 5 a.m. versus, say, 4 a.m.? I guess it maybe depends on what time you used to wake up and then you just woke up an hour or two earlier than that. So for me, I chose 5 a.m. really just based off my day job schedule that I had you know, eight years ago. Like That was the initial push. I, I have friends who use 4 a.m. or even 3.30 as their wake-up call. I don't do that. I think even that's a stretch for me. And so I'm looking at just what's the ideal time to get up for the schedule that you have. And so for some people, like for the rhythm of your day, your kind of your energy cycles, 5 a.m. may not be a good fit. Um, I know a lot of people get out of bed at 6 or 6.30 because it fits their body better. And also what I've realized over time is that I have a real kind of peak energy cycle probably between 6 and 10 a.m. And that's basically like my zone when I'm, I'm most caffeinated, I'm most awake, and I'm most prepared to really get a lot of good stuff done. So if I can have some focused hours in those times, that's what I want to lean towards, which means my sleeping schedule has to align for me to be awake and ready to optimize those hours. So right, that's really the question of what does your schedule look like and what's ideal for you? And everyone's schedule is different and schedules change over time anyway. So it's really that, this, that constant question of what's best for tomorrow? And then figure out how to make sure that that can be a consistent thing for you going forward. And I imagine some people might be thinking, well, okay, so eight hours of sleep. So why couldn't I still wake up at 8 a.m. and go to bed at midnight? It's the same number of hours of sleep. And like, say that they're used to doing stuff at night, like after they get home from work, they're mm -hmm. used to doing whatever business stuff or working out or whatever. But I guess is the difference that in the morning, it, it helps whatever it is you're doing, whether it's working out business stuff that you're getting energized for the rest of the day. And it lasts your energy lasts longer than like if you flipped it. I mean, to answer the question in the most kind of direct way, the exact hours you sleep doesn't really matter. That's kind of the easy answer. The other part of that answer is that there are rhythms in the day based upon sunlight. And so it kind of depends also on where you live in the world and what season it is. Because there are some places like right now in Nashville in the summer at 5 a.m., the sun is already coming up. And so if you want to live by the sunlight, you can do that for a big chunk of the year. 
But in some places, it's dark until 8 or 9 a.m. in some seasons. And so getting out of bed with the sun would then cause you to sleep in more, which I can think it depends on your kind of perspective on what will be the guiding force for when you get out of bed. And so if your goal is to, well, number one, be at work on time, that will be a kind of a guiding light for you. Or it's going to be things like what fits your body best. Like I'm not arguing 5 a.m. is the best time for anyone. I just think that for a lot of people, if you are more intentional at the times you wake up, you can get a lot more value out of those first few hours as opposed to an 8 a.m. wake up call could actually lead to you feeling behind or stressed out or feel like the rest of the world's already awake and you've missed out on something. It just depends on you and what you want to do with your time. Yeah, that's a good point. I didn't think about the daylight cycles. And and then you have Alaska that's like dark half the year. Right, exactly. (laughs) So then in those cases, you might need artificial lights to help you wake up. Like I have an alarm clock in my bedroom that simulates a sunrise. And so what it's a more expensive alarm clock I've ever bought my entire life, but it's one I wanted to buy as an experiment. And it works pretty well. And what it does is about half an hour before the alarm would actually go off, it has this glowing light that gets brighter and brighter over the course of those 30 minutes as if the sun is kind of coming up. So if you're not in a, like I, I use a blackout drapes on my windows. And so I don't actually see the sunrise naturally anyway. My wife is still asleep until like six or seven. And so if I'm going to get up, I need some sort of signal to say now's the time to wake up. So that alarm clock has been helpful, but other, there's a lot of ways to do that as well. You're just trying to figure out like what is my best time and how do I, orient my life around sleep as opposed to having your life oriented around other activities. So you mentioned that light. What other ways could someone wake up earlier? I mean, at a certain point, I'm sure it becomes habit, but at least initially, I know they have those alarm clocks that roll across the floor and you actually have to physically get up. And I don't know Uh if if that works or not, but what other ideas or suggestions do you have? There was one idea similar to that where I had two alarm clocks for a long time, the one next to my bed and then one in a room next to my bedroom that was very loud. And so I had to physically get out of bed and go to the other room to turn it off. So the same idea, like whatever will get you out of bed. I mean, you can use a lot of hacks if you want to do that. I mean, when I was a kid, my dad would come in and spray me with water right in the face. It's like, wake me up. So like if you have people in your house that want to be that accountability for you, you can do that too. It's just that question of, I think for me personally, it's if I can get to bed early enough, then when the alarm goes off, it's not like it's a painful thing. It is just a reminder that now's the time to wake up, which so it doesn't feel quite so difficult. And I feel like it's just really for me, that's the key thing. You have to feel like the time you've set to wake up is a natural time, because if it's not and it's forcing you to get out of bed before you're ready then your whole day is going to be less energized. You're going to be kind of regretful at that time. Like it, it backfires in a lot of ways, which I'm, why most people will do a 5 a.m. wake-up call once or twice, and then it fails after that because they just can't stand the idea of being that tired all day long. And so that's why I also recommend you do a very slow change to this schedule. You're not going to just do 5 a.m. tomorrow morning if it's usually 8 a.m. I, I recommend 15-minute increments, just like really small over the course of maybe a month maybe six weeks, really shift slowly so that every single day feels like it's like yesterday, a little different, but close. I feel like that schedule allows people to naturally make that shift uh, without it being that painful. 
Okay. Yeah, that's a good suggestion. It kind of reminds me of we were just switching our dog over from one dog food to another because we thought he was allergic or something to the one. But you know how they recommend like only doing 25% with a new food and 75% with the old and then for a few days and then 50 and 50 and so on. So yeah, it kind of reminds me of that. And I think that would be, that would make it a lot easier to manage to do it in 50, 15, not 50. (laughs) You can do 50 also. I mean, you can. (laughs) There are some people that if they don't do kind of a big leap all at once, they're not going to make it. But those are the minority. The vast majority of us don't do it that way. I'm not that way. Like small increments are much more effective. And so I find that if your goal is to make this a lifestyle choice, that going forward, this is how I want to behave and this is the the hours I want to sleep, then doing a slower transition definitely lasts. It's more effective for most people long term. And then what do you recommend for someone to eat when they should they eat when they first get up or should they do the thing that they woke up for and then eat? And then what should they eat? I'm not a dietitian, so I can't give <laughs> exact advice on that. But what I can say, it works really well for me. I have this you can see this on video here. I have a full liter of water that I keep with me wherever I go. And my goal when I first wake up is to drink probably about 10 to 12 ounces of water when I first get up. And then I want to finish the leader probably within four or five hours of getting out of bed. So my real goal is to make sure that I'm going to drink quite a bit of water as my kind of initial kind of, okay, the day has begun, let's hydrate and then begin from there. I've moved to a system now where I don't eat a lot of breakfast, but I will drink a lot of liquids. So water, coffee, tea, that sort of thing for me, that works well. I find that if I eat too much early in the day, it kind of drags my energy down as opposed to bringing me back up. And so what I'm looking for are ways to allow my body to function at its best. And sometimes that means eating a lot if I'm really hungry, if I worked out really hardcore the day before. But usually it just means for me a lot of water. And that's enough to get me through kind of the first at least three or four hours of the day. Oh, okay. I was reading that you eat 10 to 30 bananas a day. What <laughs> What about yes. like, what about the sugar and carbs in that? So I've read a lot of books. I'm a, I'm a vegan and have been for about 10 years. And so a huge part of my diet are fruits and veggies. And so a daily smoothie is a big part of what I do. And the Vitamix blender that I own can fit probably 12 bananas in it. If you also had some water. And so I'll blend that thing up and I'll probably, I could down the entire blender by about 2 p.m. on most days. And so I I would consume a dozen bananas by the mid-afternoon on most days. Oh, wow. Yeah, bananas are one of the fruits that I really like. You know, if I need a snack or something, I I usually have one banana every morning. And I love smoothies. My favorite are banana avocado and avocado coconut or yeah, just a mixture of those things. I know there are a lot of sugar and carbs in it, though. I guess it's like the good kind, right? So yeah, it was based on fiber. And so if the the kind of the theory behind that is if you consume sugar with fiber, your body absorbs the sugar at a slower rate and therefore it won't spike your insulin and cause you to have issues uh, in, in, on the blood sugar levels. And so that's kind of the theory behind it. Once again, I'm not a doctor here, right. I'm not giving medical <laughs> advice, but I will say that a lot that I've read and kind of lived with over the years running dozens of marathons and eating this diet, it's definitely effective for me. I've loved it for a long time. Hmm. Well, maybe I'll have to try that. And it's pretty filling, I imagine, too. If you drink an entire Vitamix full of bananas, you'll be full for a while. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Let's see. And I know you also have the Rockin' Productivity course. The Academy. Or it's an Academy. Okay. So it's it's a a, a longer course, but yeah. 
Okay. Can you tell us a little bit about that and how you got that idea and what it covers and goes over? The Academy is basically a, a video version of my podcast. So I do a lot of trainings where it's me working through um, a lot of the same concepts I discuss in the podcast, just with more detail and kind of visual examples of that. So I walk people through how to use the templates that I describe on the show or in my books. And the Academy specifically targets people who they want to kind of take action in a more structured way. Because if you just listen to a podcast or read a book, you're kind of on your own to figure out when you're going to do what. And the Academy is designed to kind of be more of a structured step-by-step system to say, we're going to start here on day one. And by day seven, we'll be here. And day 14, we'll be here to help people kind of get more productivity strategies and skills built into their life in a way that's more of a kind of a structured program. So productivity just in every area of life, pretty much, or in specific areas? The basic kind of philosophy of my show and the content that I produce is it's productivity for individuals. So as opposed to corporations or or big groups, the most of my content is asking the question, you know, what are you doing tomorrow morning at 5 a.m.? What does your calendar look like at 9 a.m.? What's, you know, when do you focus on your most important tasks? You know, how do you make sure you block distractions? It's all of that kind of stuff. So it's, it's very individualistic in that sense. So you can take all the advice I have and ignore all of it or just pluck out little pieces that you want. And that's why I usually advise is that you're not trying to take on what I recommend is 47 different strategies in one of my products. That's too many for anybody, too many for me. But there's a lot of ideas that you can pluck out and figure out which of these works best for the season that I'm in now. And that's really the question you're asking, like what's the current major priority in your life right now? And how do you orient your life around that priority which then would ask the question, when's your bedtime? When do you work out? When do you work on your most important projects? And so it's all structured around your biggest goal in life at that time, and then figuring out how the rest of your life can point you in that direction. So, and I know we've talked a lot about the morning routine, but just in general, what are some good tips for productivity overall? I think my favorite strategy that I've discussed probably in my every episode of my podcast is focus blocks of time. It's this acronym that I call an FBOT. And so in the FBOT, you're really looking for 100% focus. And so right now is a good example of that. So my dog, I put him away for this interview. He's hiding in the bathroom, so he can't distract me. I have my phone turned off. I have all my computer apps and notifications turned off. So the intention in this moment right now is to make sure that all of my attention goes in one place. And so I give my full brain cells to what I'm doing. And I'm not going to be doing anything else. Um, there's even a sign on my door that says FBOT on it. So my wife knows not to come in. And so it's, it's those kinds of strategies that asking, how do I guarantee that anything that would distract me from my number one task has been addressed so that when I actually begin my work, I am fully into that work? Because the biggest problem we have in our world is distraction. Everybody is trying to get to us in every angle from social media and our phones and everything. We just feel bombarded. There's too much information, too much input. It's just too much. And the only way to simplify all of that is to have multiple focus blocks of time throughout the day. So you can just focus in on one thing, do it really well. And most of the time, that means you're going to get it done a whole lot faster with more quality and you can think a lot better. And then you have better ideas for more things to do later on. And to me, that's just an ideal way to be productive because I've done the opposite. I've done the whole distracted you know, group environment thing which does not work for me. It's not my thing. And for most people, it's not their thing either. So you're trying to figure out how to guarantee focus as often as you can so that your priorities are actually getting done. So no multitasking then. Exactly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, I have uh, three screens on my computer. Well, not right now. I'm doing this on my laptop. But on my desktop computer, I have three screens 
And so I always have a million things going at once. I probably, mm-hmm. so I probably need, I need to read your books is what I need to do and implement some of these things. So do you recommend creating a daily list of like 8 a.m. I'm doing this, 9 a.m.? So I have a system that this has evolved a lot over the years, but what I'm currently doing, have done for the last probably two or three years is I have a calendar and I have a task manager. And so the calendar is very traditional in the sense I use the Apple calendar on my Mac and I just break down the major events that are going on in my day. So this interview, for example, is on the calendar. I can see the time for it. I have the information I need for it there. Like So the major events and blocks of time are mapped out there. But the individual specific tasks that I'm doing are broken down to two places. One is Nosby, which is my task manager, which is similar to Asana or Todoist or Trello. These are very popular task managers. I just choose to use Nosby, which is N-O-Z-B-E. It's a made-up Polish word. What it is, it's a glorified to-do list. It's a way to keep track of little tiny details that need to be scheduled that would really clutter up a calendar. And so I don't keep the little details on the calendar because it's too much information. And then the other place I keep a lot of my project data is in Evernote. And so that's just you know, a big note-taking application on the computer as well, where I'll break down every single step of a project, all the tasks I might want to do to get from A to Z. And then I'll take the next action in that task, whatever the individual next item is, and that goes into my task manager for the day. And so when I get out of bed tomorrow morning, my task manager will highlight here are today's priorities. And those have been pre-scheduled based upon the next actions for my project. So I already know the priorities for the day based upon the smaller tasks. And then the calendar tells me my major events. And so between those two, I can see my whole day and I know what matters and I know where to give myself over to with, in terms of time and energy and focus. I know what the day is going to look like. And if I don't like it with the way that it looks, I'll reschedule it. I frequently redo my calendar as the week progresses because it's not efficient enough. It doesn't make any sense. So I'll batch things together. I'll cut things. I love to delete things. I get a real high off of not doing things because I know that gives me more time to then address the things that matter. And so that's really my cycle, my kind of the way my day works is figuring out what's the top priority and how do I guarantee time for that priority? Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that you like to delete stuff. I'm the same way. I keep all my stuff just in a note on my iPhone, which isn't the best way to do it. But anyway, and I just separate stuff out by date. And then when I finish that day, I just delete it. And I'm like, ah, finally. And then (laughs) with COVID and everything going on, everybody's plans are getting canceled. And sometimes sometimes I'm kind of like glad about it. I'm like, oh, well, that's one less thing I have to do. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I had a guy that I was going to interview for my podcast a few months ago, and I I was sick that day. And I told him I have to miss our interview. And he was like, Oh, thank God, I'm done. I'm I'm not gonna reschedule it. I'm canceling all my interviews. Like he had reached a point where he realized that interviews were not working for him. He didn't like them. They weren't a good use of his time. And I actually really respected his choice. I was like, Oh, that makes total sense. Because he was trying to restructure his priorities and realize that interviews were not going to serve that. And so it's those kinds of epiphanies where you realize, wait a minute, the time that I'm spending on these things aren't working. How can I get out of those commitments? And I find that that's a major focus for just anyone who's stressed out and overwhelmed and you feel like something's not clicking. This is not working for me. I think the best first choice is to delete whatever you can, because then you free up time to think and then you can pivot and make a better decision going forward. Yeah, like learn how to say no, basically. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. So I think during this whole season right now, I think maybe people are learning how to do that. <laughs> well, because they don't have a choice. I hope so. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. If you're forced to, to say no, then that's that's what's step one, I guess. Yeah. So maybe they'll realize how good it, it feels to be able to 
not do everything that was on their list before. Exactly. Let's see. And then you also have the free time formula book. Can you tell us a little bit about that and what that book goes over? So the free time formula in some ways is kind of, it's not an anti-productivity book, but it kind of feels that way at times. So basically what happened for me was that I was working kind of my typical Jeff Sanders lifestyle of pushing myself from sunup to sundown, like working a lot. Uh, That's my tendency. I tend to put in a lot of hours because I like what I do. But I got to a point where I had taken on way too much. My calendar was definitely full to the max. And I had, and then the most simplistic way of describing it, I had a complete breakdown that led to a, not a nervous breakdown, but it was more like a panic attack that led to chest compressions. I went to the ER. My doctor told me that I was fine, but that I was, stress was just basically killing me. And I didn't even feel that stressed out, but I had pushed myself so hard that my body was just like breaking down on me before I knew it. And so I realized at that point, like I can't continue to push myself this hard. I can't work all day long. There has to be clear boundaries around my time, which is why my calendar looks different today than it did back when my podcast first started, because now I have clear boundaries. I know when the day starts, I know when it ends. And I know that if I'm going to get my most important work done, it has to get done before that end time. And then it's over. And then I can calm down, go to bed, get plenty of sleep. And so the book basically breaks down partly how I got to that point. And then most importantly, how to make sure that free time and margin and rest is a major priority for anyone who has that tendency to just push all the time. You know, the type A people, the ones who just love to work all hours of the day, it can be really productive. The, the, the good news about it is that when you work hard, you get stuff done. But the, the consequence there is that it can backfire in very dramatic ways. And to be a 32-year-old in the hospital for what felt like a heart attack, and I was running and I was eating a healthy diet, it didn't make any sense to me. But I had done it to myself. I had just pushed myself into that position. And so for me, it's this really clear lesson in, in balance and just this really figuring out, you know, what is my priority, but how do I make sure that that falls in line with my health? Because that has to be also like what is in the equation every day. And that's basically what the book breaks down. And you had mentioned a few minutes ago about batching, which I love. And I've just recently started doing that, like batch recording podcasts as far as, you know, lining up several different podcasts within a week or something. You can't really batch record interviews like back to back to back because depending on their scheduling. Some people do that, but it's really crazy. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And then, you know, batch editing and not not just with podcasting, but just batching anything. It it Mm -hmm. saves so much time because once you get in a groove... You can pick up speed and you're, oh, yeah. you're just focusing on one thing versus like if you were to do it for podcasting, for example, if you were to do an interview, one interview, then edit it. And then, I mean, I guess the good thing is, well, then everything for that one interview is done. But still, I, I mean, think you, it, you can define batching in different ways. But I think to that example you just listed, you know, I'll kind of group together similar items, but how they're defined as being similar is pretty subjective. So you could choose different ways to do it. It's really like, for me, the question just comes down to, am I doing this task in an efficient way? And if it feels like it's clunky, it probably is. And I need to find a better way to get it done. I know a lot of that, that simple example of scheduling interviews, you know, I've worked really hard over the years to really like streamline when I have interview days and when I don't. And when I do certain types of, of technology work and when I'm you know out of the house running errands, it's like a very simple way of saying like these types of activities need to be grouped together because it just makes a whole lot more sense. And I don't feel as frazzled, you know, trying to switch from one thing to the other. And I also realized too, like as an entrepreneur, I do a lot of different things. And sometimes I have creative work 
and other times it's like really boring accounting work. And those are very different tasks for my brain. So I don't want to switch back and forth between those two types of tasks. I want to do highly creative things in one big batch or one whole day, and then all kind of maybe boring, mundane, task-oriented things another day so that I could really get into a groove on one way of thinking or another, which for me has helped a lot. Okay. Yeah. I've heard some people, you know, like you said, they might do like, they'll do all their social media on one day. They'll do all their interviews on one day or whatever. Whereas I tend to do all, I do things in order, but I do the same things every day. Which way do you have you found to be more productive or does it depend on the person? I think it depends on the project. So the way that I kind of break down my life is like I have, I have a current season where one project is my number one goal. I just finished a three month long span of time working on my website where I was I used my pandemic time to do a lot of really boring coding to fix a lot of problems. And what I found was that if I had a whole day of doing that kind of a task, then I could really dig in deep and get the whole thing done. So I would do an entire day of coding and then an entire day of podcasting and then an entire day of like household chores or whatever the thing was. I I figure out ways to group those things together so that I'm just doing one type of activity all day long. And so it's it's theme days is basically what it is. And with those days being themed, you're able to identify, you know, Tuesdays are podcasting days and Fridays are, you know, date days with my wife or whatever the thing is you're doing all day. I feel like that really helps a lot to identify Here's what today is all about. And then when you're scheduling your tasks for the week, when you're planning ahead of time, you can really drop things into those days in a really easy way to know when you have time and when you don't. And since someone asked you, you know, do you have time on Wednesday? Like, well, no, that day's already blocked. Let's try a different day that I have set out for that type of task. And then it's easier for you to decide when you're doing what and when you're not. So one thing I do, and I'm sure a lot of people do, is the first thing I do, actually the first thing I do when I wake up, which I probably shouldn't, is check email, social media, all that Mm. stuff. And some people say, well, it's better to wait till the very end of the day to do those types of things. What would your recommendation be? I have heard a lot of people in the world of productivity who just hate email and they hate the idea of checking it first thing and they think that it's the devil. I don't work that way. I like to check email frequently. I think it keeps me on my toes a lot more. So I take a very a different approach. Like, no, I don't check email constantly, but I do check it frequently. And I make sure that I am prioritizing what I view as communication with my important people that I want to talk to. So if I am scheduling an interview or I'm negotiating a contract or I am having a conversation with a possible lead for a sale, that's how I view my email is like it's a, a way to do business. And it's a way to communicate effectively. So if that's how I'm running my business, then I want to be where that is happening. And for me, email is a very important aspect of that. So if I get out of bed at five and check my email at 515, I'm fine with that. I don't get distracted by it. It's not going to ruin my day mostly because I also have a plan of when my focus blocks of time are going to be. So I'm totally fine to check email between those blocks. And then it's not like my whole day falls apart because I was distracted by one email. So I think it also depends on your tendencies. If you tend to get, you know, 200 emails in a day and you can't think or focus, you need to find a way to manage that that works for you. And for me, getting to inbox zero is a very easy thing to do because I don't have that many emails to begin with. And the ones that I do, I manage and I move on. So it's just a matter of saying that I value efficiency, I value communication. So I'm going to check my email probably more often than others. 
Well, I really appreciate your time today. You've given us a lot of valuable insight. And I think the podcast, 5A Miracle, as well as the book and then the free time formula book, I think that will be helpful. I'm going to actually get those books myself because. Oh, great. Yeah, this is one area I definitely need help in. So was there anything else that you wanted to touch on that we hadn't yet? Uh, with the big stuff, I think the focus blocks of time is probably the one that I would recommend. If you're going to do anything as an action step after this, the, the FBOT is so powerful. If you can find a way to block distractions and do just one thing, even for an hour, one thing for an hour, it, it can change your life if you have not done that or don't normally do that and make that part of your routine. It's just I'm going to say like today there's going to be guaranteed time to do one thing. And when that happens, like it really is a powerful thing. Like implementing the one thing, that book, the one thing, yes, put into your exactly. into your day. Yes. Um, well, people can find you at jeffsanders.com. And then I'll also have show notes that will have links to the podcast and the books and whatnot. Perfect. Thank you. If you enjoyed and found value from this episode, I'd greatly appreciate it if you rate, review, subscribe, and share at ratethispodcast.com forward slash frugalpreneur. Until next time. Are you a frugalpreneur looking to connect with like-minded individuals? Join our community on Slack, connect with fellow listeners, share your thoughts on episodes, engage in meaningful discussions, including money-saving tips and entrepreneurial insights, and help shape the future of the Frugalpreneur podcast. Plus, you can submit your questions in written or audio form to be featured on the show. Let's build a supportive space together. Join us now at frugal.show forward slash slack. See you on the inside.